Hey, this is another episode of the New York Comedy Club podcast brought to you by Paper House Network. I am your host, Nick Angelo, and today I am joined by fellow Paper House member, the commissioner of comedy himself, Mr. James Mattern. Commissioner, how are you, buddy? What an absolute pleasure to be here in the studio. It has been a year surrounded by all this magic amidst this horrible pandemic. There's still magic coming out of here, and it's wonderful to be a part of. I'm so glad you're here. This is uh, this is two weeks in a row now that I've had a live interview, and boy, does it feel good. I know you have probably been sick and tired of Zoom as much as I am and as much as pretty much everyone else across the planet. So it's nice that you're actually in studio live, and uh, we're right by the drum set, and I got mm. a feeling that when this is all wrapped up, we're going to have a little bit of a jam session. I would like to play. I mean, I'm not much of a drummer. But boy, that Telecaster is getting fucking played. Bro. Yeah, it Let's is. Let's just be real, buddy. Yeah, it is. The last time you were here, you were uh, you were kind of recording a, a track. I don't know if we're uh, ready to, to <laughs> get into that just yet. I think that's still uh, you know in, in the in the can. But it's gonna be my big break. Yeah. And then the world broke. So what are you gonna do, <laughs> champ? We just be flexible. <laughs> well, for those who uh, don't know, here on the Paper House Network, James is the host of a really, really cool podcast called The Commissioner of Comedy. I wanted to get into that. What's that all about? Why are you the Commissioner of Comedy? You know, give us a little bit of a, a little a little taste. My friend, it is a comedy etiquette, comedy uh, philosophy. Uh, it is about the lifestyle of being a comedian. It is the inner workings. It is how the sausage is made, the inside baseball of it. Can I wear shorts on stage? Um, can I just, my second night in the city, in the green room, not working anywhere, um, can I just go and pipe up to the established comedians? Am I allowed to go over the light? Um, should I, what should discourage me? What is my path? Should I listen to everybody? All these things. I am starting to embrace that it's slightly self-helpy. So, but this is what I'm going to say. Self-help minus the douchiness. Does that help? No corniness, no douchiness. I have tattoos. This is about, I should be dead. Let's just be honest. Comedy has kept me alive. I have, if we went into my bio, there's enough shit to make anyone cry. And I didn't realize it till someone brought it up to me. And I'm here doing the thing I love. Still doing the thing I love amidst this pandemic and us being shut down. This is an inspiration. So I want people to realize that you can do your thing if your heart's right. If you love this, embrace the whole lifestyle of it. And that's what this podcast is. Boy, that was a lot more words than you expected, but I did it. Well, that's that's the commissioner, baby. Mm. Well, I want to just kind of clarify or just, you know, go over the fact that you know, what makes you the commissioner? Who who are you? Why are why are you, you know, and I mean I know the answer, but I want the listeners listening to know It's a what, wonderful question. What makes you the commissioner of so, the comedy world? Nick, I have a degree in journalism and that question is what makes you the Ed Bradley of the, of Paper House Network. Hey man, I mean I got that journalism degree too. What are the greats of all time, Ed Bradley? Um, brother, I've been doing this so um the First week of February of 2021 will mark 20 years of doing stand-up, and that same week will mark 15 years of me in New York. I have I don't have major credits at all. I have a few things that are decent, but I have made a living doing this for about seven, eight years, and I probably could have a little before that, but I kept a part-time job. 
I have seen a lot. I've kept my mouth shut. I've opened my mouth and gotten in trouble. I am an example of perseverance and the that you can be a working comic, that you don't need to be the biggest person ever to make a living doing this. And you can be happy doing this, and it's a, a good living. I joked a lot for years, as you know, in the green rooms, and particularly the green room at New York with Amy and everyone else, about um, how frustrated I was with people not caring who come into the new people coming in and just throwing their bags and thinking who they are. And we've all done it, but they're used to when I was coming up, there are people who put you down and that's been disappearing. And I go, I'm going to become the commissioner of comedy. So everyone knows what's going on. I joked about it. And then I wrote four years ago, an article about emceeing that kind of went viral, uh, how to host a show. And then I did a couple posts last year about, some etiquette stuff like staying on stage and stop ratting out comedy clubs and trying to get bomb threats to them. And someone reached out to me. It's like, you should do like a podcast or something about this. So we're here. And, and, and the commissioner, look, I'm always scared that people are like, who the fuck made you the commissioner? Why, why are you the commissioner? Do you really think you are? No, but it's a cool fucking name. What was yeah. the other options? How to be a comic? I mean, you've always so been you a, want to be a comic. You've always been a Jack Tunney fan, so you know, That's commissioner me. is uh, something that just runs deep in your blood. I will also add to that <laughs> and Bowie Coon. Don't sleep on Bowie Coon. <laughs> I will add to that. Um, you know, not because you're sitting across from me or that you're my buddy, but you are one of, if not the most well-respected comics in in New York City. You know, this isn't. Uh, you know, New York, L.A., it's where it's at in comedy. If you're there and you're established, you're somebody. And you are established and well-respected amongst the comedy community, comedians themselves. You know, for my money, you're the best host in the city, which I know you've had episodes about that. That could You could take that as an insult if you wanted to, but I mean it with all I love, love it. and respect because you are. You're the best Thank host you. in the city and... Sure, you don't have major credits. You don't pass the mom test. But when you have <laughs> my own mom, unfortunately, you, <laughs> yeah, mom, it's me. Yeah, uh, yeah I but, wanted a girl. Get the fuck out of here. When oh, you have when you have that respect from I me, mean, no one says a bad word about you. You know, and that that goes a long way. And I think that is what, in my book, makes you the commissioner and gives you the right to be like, hey, this is how you should act. And I love that you say in every episode, hey, it's just one man's opinion. One man's opinion. And these opinions change over time. You know, you, I, you we're going to go back in a couple episodes from now. You're going to be like, hey, remember that one episode when I said this? Well, now, now shorts are in vogue, man. Wear them up. And I bring that up in one of our later episodes of the short debate. Look, I'm wearing shorts right now. I will be performing in a park after we wrap this up. And if, during this pandemic, you're doing these outdoor shows. Wear your shorts. We get back into clubs, something where people are paying more, mo- like actual money to go see. Put some, f- cover your legs unless you're a draw and it's part of who you are and your character. Yeah, unless you have calf muscles like me. That's right. But look yeah. at mine. Pretty decent. They're not, they're not bad. Not too bad. We're uh, showing off our calf muscles now for those who are in an audio, audio. podcast. Uh, yeah, um, but, but things could change. We might not ever go inside again. So then, guess what? Wear shorts if to represent what your audience is. Yeah, exactly. And and that's and but that. So like wearing shorts on stage for those who aren't in the community world or probably like what is this is a, such a big deal? It is. Oh man, it really is. It's been a, a heated topic of discussion for years. And but the, it's deeper than that. It's the idea of if you're a young comic or you're someone coming up or. 
you know, I don't want to say road comic and make it seem like I'm calling them a hack or something. But if you're not in the two major markets, it's your mentality. It's how you take a role. Like, don't wear shorts on stage. And if you're the type of comic that's like, I do whatever the fuck I want. Fluffy does it. I'm going to do it. That's a mentality that you have as a comic that maybe you should rethink. And that's why I love your podcast is it's kind of like, hey, you know, you're allowed to think whatever you want. Do whatever you want. You're the artist. But when you do, you can expect this, you can expect that, and you're probably going to get a lot of backlash. So allow me to allow me to give you the potholes because I've been down that road. And I think that's very important. If you're a young comic coming up who don't who doesn't know the rules, doesn't know the road, you gotta listen to the commissioner of comedy. I, I, I think you just you you lay it out there and you never you're never preachy. You're never preachy. I try not to be. Um, but here's the, let's do an example though. We we all were stuck at quarantine. Uh, even non-sports fans watched The Last Dance, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone did. So let's do this as an example, right? Um, can I shove? Let's just say you and I are in the NBA. We're not stars. We come off the bench. Can we just shove teammates during practice and call them motherless fucks and see what? Ha- are we going to be able to play in the next game? Probably not. No. But Michael J- Jordan could, right? Mm-hmm. You know why? Because he's Michael Jordan. Yeah. Michael Jordan could wear shorts because people are going to go see Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan wins you the games. That's what it's about. Fluffy draws. He has paid his dues. I don't know. I, I wonder if he wore shorts coming up. I don't know where he came. He might have came from a small market, and they just be crushed from the get-go, and he got to be, do whatever he wanted. Who knows? But I'll tell you this. If he came up in New York and L.A., he probably had covered his legs for a couple years before he started drawing and printing money. And when you print that money— Bert Chrysler doesn't wear a fucking shirt. (laughs) Should you not wear a shirt? Can you move the units that can you pack a club every night that you're there like he can? No. Put on a shirt. Button that up, dog. And cover them legs. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We're talking about the shorts debate. And I, years, years, years ago, when I was still doing stand-up, I was at the comic strip for their... um, what was the competition? The auditions. Yeah, the audition. They but had, they made it like a last comic stand. That's before I ended up being the host there. I yeah. never got passed. Sherrod, Sherrod was the host. I, I go up, I do my set, and the judges were Modi, Big J, uh, Vic Henley. Oh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. The great and uh, Keith Henley. Robinson. Oh, yeah. And three out of the four <laughs> of them, after I do five minutes of material, all they said, nothing about, hey, this joke sucked, that joke was strong. You know, maybe try this, maybe try that, or, you know, you're just bad. All they said, three out of the four of them were, put on some fucking pants. Yep. Because I wore shorts. I didn't know. At your audition. I didn't have the luxury. Not even a gig, yeah. I didn't have the luxury of listening to the commissioner of comedy at that time. I got on stage, and they just ripped into me. Yeah. And it was like, ugh. And um, it kind of sucked, but Sherrod and then Marina Franklin came up to me and was like, hey, I thought you were pretty funny for what it's worth. Which I didn't have to do that, and no. it made me feel good. But a little tidbit about that: you know who ended up winning that night? It wasn't really a win, but like you know who got co- sort of got passed after that night was the big, big, big star, an eighteen-year-old or a seventeen-year-old by the name of Pete Davidson. Wow! Yeah, what a wild oh, that's night! Pete's night. Yeah, that was a that was a crazy night. Pete Davidson starting his mega star career, and <laughs> I was ending mine because I didn't wear pants. I think in front. I think Pete was seventeen for five years. Yeah. Well, that's because <laughs> <laughs> there's no way I met him when he was fourteen. Yeah. Like, how old is he now? I I don't know, but I remember. But I remember uh, Richie didn't want to pass him because he was too young. Mm. Maybe he was twenty. He I'd, still might have been gun shy from from Eddie. Yeah. Eddie superstardom. 
yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure. But he's like, if how old are you? And he's like, um, so he's like, well, you're just too young. I can't pass you. And the crowd booed and blah blah. blah. It was cool. It was, a, it was a cool night. And obviously he got passed, you know. But I think it might have just been for show. But I don't know how old he was. But it was young. He was a young guy. It was before yeah. he became Pete Davidson. So I was just, that's my story. He was about, just the prince of Staten Island. At yeah, that just. Point. The- <laughs> He was just a squire, just a young squire trying to, yes, trying to get, to impress the knights. Yes, that's uh, that's good. Um, but you also use a great, how do I want to ask? You, you use a lot of different references of sports, music, wrestling, three things that all make us buddies. <laughs> Absolutely. But you use it a lot in your podcast, and I think that's very important for people who aren't a comic listening. So like your podcast is like, as I like to say, it's like, it's a masterclass for young comics. You got to listen to what you're saying because learn, learn and listen to what you're saying. But for those who want to know how the sausage is made, we're just comedy fans. They like it because they're getting a little inside baseball, but you also keep it fresh with references to Tarantino movies or a, uh, you know, Cactus Jack reference, and, uh, you know, and I, I eat that shit up. So I think that's uh, I think that's cool. How important is that to you to kind of keep it broad? Well, I just think with anything of teaching, analogies are, are amazing, mm-hmm. and it just breaks it down and where you can really understand it, and it takes it away from just uh, going out there grabbing the mic and being a comic into something else where you can understand the little nuances. It's, I mean, that's, that's important to me when I get explained to things, so that's what I try to do. And I try to make it more interesting. And, you know, I'm not trying to be, like, funny on the show, but if something, some humor comes out, I mean, it is a comedian talking about comedy. Some things come out. Uh, a little bit of levity to it, that, that helps as well. And so, you know, I trust wherever I go on it. As you know, as um, someone uh, who produces the show, sometimes I'll send you eight different versions of one show because I'm like, I don't know if I did enough of this to convey that, and I think I could do that better. I just let it fly. I have a little bit of a skeleton, a little fishbone, and see what happens. I don't plan any of these analogies. They just come out. Well, that's James Madden for you, yeah. baby. That's, uh, but that's, and, and that's the best part about it. You're not, you're not coming in with a script. You don't have a scroll. You don't have Ten Commandments of do's and don'ts. You just kind of plug in and pull the ripcord, and you're in. You, you just start going, and it's such a, it's such a journey of episodes of knowledge if you will without sounding preachy as i mentioned earlier it's just you talking the way you talk and i think it's just so important for younger comics to listen to and it's so entertaining for those who don't give a shit about shorts on stage or don't give a shit about the green room etiquette although the green room etiquette you could write books on that i think it might happen yeah hey publishers we're winking at you there are certain things that younger comics do that are just so unprofessional oh buddy and just look if you're a younger comic and you do comedy because you don't want to be like everybody else and you don't want a nine to five and you don't want a big boy job that's great that's why a lot of people do it but you still got to act professional that's it and there's blowback on that it's been interesting when i've talked to some people about it but um it's weird, man. I, so I just spent three weeks in suburban Philly, and I was doing shows for Soul Joel. He had a summer comedy festival. This is an example of life giving you lemons, and you're making lemonade, and he put sand in the parking lot, and he put together a festival, got some really big acts. 
And the young, his young comics, because right when this happened, he was having open mic nights. He was up to five nights a week. He was going to get to seven soon. People were wanting to make that their place, and he started developing some comics. I saw young comics towards the end of that festival volunteering their time to work, seat people, do run errands, and then I saw a young guy just hang out, and by the end of it, he was very polite in talking to established comics, but also um, was selling merch for free. Just I was So I was selling merch just in case um, New York City is dead and I have to live in Philadelphia. QVC's right around there. That's how crazy I am. I'm like, I wonder if I can sell. I wonder if I could go to QVC and sell. And so I started hawking merch for like the last week of the festival just to see if I can get shirts out. And then this guy just starts doing it to help me. And I'm like, well, you got this kid. I'm going to go drink it truly. And this guy did his job. Did not expect anything. But that was him showing Joel, I want to work for you. What do you need me to do? And in the smaller markets, I mean, it's weird calling Philadelphia a small market, but not New York, not L.A., um, not Toronto, the road markets that we call, kids are hungry for stage time and will do whatever and are a lot more polite to establish comedians, working comedians, than out here where within your first couple times, look, your, your first bringer, you can work with Judah and, and Janine at bringers at clubs, like, and so you, shit, you already made it. I've done one gig. I did my, my first gig in Vegas. I did with some drunk guy who uh, dressed as a chef and then brought out a dildo and talked about every guy he's blown for 10 minutes his set. That's who I started with. And I've seen people start with Judah and Janine. Who do you think's going to walk out thinking they're hotter shit? Wait a minute. Let's go back to that that outfit. He was dressed as a chef. As a chef. And then he had chef's a, rope. And was that it? And then underneath it, he had a huge dildo. Uh-huh. And he was a overweight homosexual comic. And this was 2001 when homophobia was still I mean there was no everyone was asleep. I ain't going to say no one was was woke, but most people were asleep. Mm-hmm. And he just played on that. I think he kind of wanted to be punky. I forget what this dude's name was. He was not popular in the scene. And he just did the worst jokes about blowing dudes, getting blown, puns, terrible hacky jokes about being gay. It was almost cool because it was almost punk, but it was just bad. And he had a dildo. It was just all the shock of this and just pushing it down your throat. And that guy went on about four before me, my first show ever. And like I said, in New York City, your first show ever, if you bring people, can be with people you've seen for years on television. Yeah, and that and why wouldn't you then walk into a green room say I'm a comedian? That's why all these cats. Hey, uh, we're doing check spots or late night spots. What do you want me to say? Um, open for no nah, dog. You didn't open for so and so for Todd <laughs> yeah. Barry. He dropped in, dog. <laughs> Shut up, stupid. You ain't that. Also, no one cares who opens for anyone. No, unless you're like the full time person. Maybe that's a credit. Yeah, opener is not a not something that you want to hang your hat on too much. I mean, it's it's a good step in your career and your progress, but I don't know if I want to go around bragging and be like, hey, you know that headliner? I know. A real, a, but a real opener is something where you're playing theaters and that, but like I open four because yeah, we're at the same show that eight other people played on is yeah. the laziest credit. Just go up there and be a comic. You don't yeah. have a credit right now. Plays yeah, I, around. <laughs> That's it. That's what you tell the, the, so, the host. So, so, I play, so I play around. You know, I used to do open mics with Mark Norman. Don't mean I opened for him. Yes, thank you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote a uh, an article a year ago. Not an article, but a little blog post about you know how to properly put together your 
your comedian profile. Yeah. And it's just like easy. First off, nobody wants you don't have to be funny in your profile. No. Just give me give me three sentences of who you are and don't end it with at least my mom thinks so. Oh, yeah. Because guess what? Everybody's doing that. And it's just like it's obnoxious. And unless you're somebody who is established where your words on paper actually come across as your style. Yeah. But if you're someone up and coming and no one knows and you're playing New York and you have tourists from all over the world reading your profile, just give, let your performance. Thank you. It's just. It, it, How about don't be funny in your intro? What do you want me to say? Looks like the blah, blah, blah. And he does. He's the king of of. Atlantis and <laughs> are you serious? This is so you play happens? around. You, you play all around, huh? That's what you want me to say. Plays all around. <laughs> Clubs and colleges. All Club right, favorite. You got it. Yeah, that's what you say. <laughs> and your next act's very funny. Please welcome. That's that's what I'm gonna say, huh? Stupid. Like it's just crazy to me. This cuteness. Oh, I hate it. Oh, trying to be cute with intros. People don't realize though. Look, if we're gonna get back to this episode, so let's talk about like I kind of hint at it in the dress code shorts episode but it's a big deal it also applies to the words being said before you grab the stage everything before you grab the mic counts people don't realize that that's why what you wear when you walk on stage you're giving an impression you're yes the intros don't mean shit but they can mean shit ultimately it's on you so if you just load up these big credits or or try to get a laugh before you go on cool but you're telling the audience something mm-hmm. If I'm in the audience and their intro and it sounds like that's what they wanted the host to t- say was a joke, why do you need a joke before you grab them before you tell jokes? To me, that's weakness. That means you don't have jokes. That's just what I'm thinking. Why, if you're do uh, all those little things add up, and and that's why it's important to s- try and say the right credits and and sell the act on the way up because you are selling. That is person. That is the audience's impression before you go out there. Is those words? It's a verbal prop. Yes. It. It. it, it you are selling these people, and it's the same with the and it, like the clothes. You come out there. Uh, I learned early on: don't wear something cute and funny as a shirt. You can wear like you're wearing a wonderful Macho Man shirt. I'm wearing Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali. These. These uh, are who we are, and I think those are fine. You're tell. You are telling a story though already in this. But who farted or a joke shirt? Why are you wearing a joke? You're telling the, you're the one telling the jokes. Why are you trying to get a laugh yeah. before you grab the mic? That's Fe- telling me that something's missing. Female body inspector up on stage. FBI dog. Yeah, you look like a walking Spencer's gift. You yeah. know that's not where we we're going with this. No. Well, I mean that's shocking to me that people try to squeeze in jokes on intros. Intros. But do you? I because I've had comics. I've hosted shows and I've been like, oh, put your hands together. This next comic is very funny. You're going to love them. And then they would be like, hey, don't say that because you're putting too much pressure. Oh, like, Then don't do it. Like, wait, which one? Do you, do you agree the with the, the comic or the host? Like oh, the host I've seen just that. Leads it- I don't mind saying it's so funny. Now, if someone doesn't, I mean, the pressure on me. Well, fuck, man. Are you getting paid to do this? Your job is to get laughs. Now, I don't get mad at you if you don't kill every time because it's like every job. When I waited tables... Sometimes I come home and be like, well, maybe tomorrow. That's going to happen unless you're Greer Barnes and Jessica Kirsten in our business and a handful of others. You're going to have sets that aren't great, and that's okay, and you should not be scared to try new shit, and on certain days you can and all that. But it is our job <laughs> to be good. Yeah. 
There's millions of comedians out there. If you're not good, you'll be replaced. The, the clubs are paying you to be successful. Yeah. Don't put pressure on me. I mean, that's not as big a pressure. As, I mean, there's a lot more pressure that can happen in this job, in this industry, if you will. Just going out there and getting last for 10, 15 minutes, believe me, a lot lower than it should be. I've had people like, yeah, don't say that because then I have to. I get it, though, at the end with Headliner when there's seven comics. That is putting added bullshit pressure that isn't needed. You're just another comic. You're just closing the show out. I hate that. You read it for your Headliner. That puts bad exp- That ups the expectations to an unfair level. And that I totally agree with. And hosts need to stop with that. Well, do you think that is, for those who don't know, normally in a showcase show you'll have seven comics. And right before the last comic of the night, who, which most people think is the Headliner. But it's not in a showcase show because you've already seen killers. You know, it depends on their schedule. So on a million headliners on that line. But do line you up, think yeah. as like a young host that you fall into that trap because right before the last comic is what we call the check spot. It's yeah. when the audience gets their bills and they're squaring up and you put a comic on stage who is young and up and coming and they're earning, you know, they're cutting their teeth during check spot because no one's paying attention to them. They're trying to figure out, oh my God, is that how much they charge for popcorn in this place? And then this, <laughs> and this comic is just up there just trying, trying to make it. And that's, it's like a stepping stone in the world of comedy. It is. Do you think that a lot of times during check spot, it just falls flat and the energy in the room is dead. So as a host, you're like, well, fuck, I got to get these people up and going. Are you guys ready? And you know you got a killer coming up and you're like, hey, you guys ready for your headliner? All right. Yeah, get just, it's, it's, like a, it's a cheap pop if I have to use a wrestling. And it's to keep them invested in the show. Mm-hmm. We've saved the best for last. Um, there's that and also to build them up to, to, yeah, I'm selling them. This is your headliner. They're going on last. But... Sometimes, once again, like I said, it's not that energy and that expectation isn't warranted in that situation. And I made that mistake. And finally, on stage at Times Square Art Center, the old Laugh Factory, 42nd and 8th in Manhattan, my home club for many years, they play music, thank God. And in between, you bring on the act, the music's playing, and Grip Arms just goes in my ear. My dude, he was a, he's always a gentleman to me. You could tell he was upset, but he wasn't demeaning and shitty to me. He's like, my dude. Please stop calling me the headliner. I'm getting paid the same as everyone. I'm not getting headliner money. I've never said it again when it's not on the road and you bring up a headliner or a festival or whatever it is. It's a great point. Yeah. Just like that. Never did it again. I always thank him when I see. I only get to see Greer a couple times a year and I always tell him that. And he just laughs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. Um, Here's a question I have about hosting. It's something that bothers me and it's probably just, just me, but you tell me. The biggest name drop or that you can do is when you have a pretty big comic coming up and you introduce them as, all right, your next comic, you're going to love him. Really good friend of mine. Please make some noise for James Mattern. It's like, did you have to tell the audience that's your friend? Are you, are you trying to, are you trying to verify yourself to this crowd? Or Um, is this something that I just get annoyed at? I don't know how many people do it that way. I mean, if someone is my good friend, luckily I don't have that many millionaire friends or whatever <laughs> um sometimes it just comes out naturally because it is but I've, I've done that to guys who aren't even that big like who did i bring up <laughs> i just brought up someone the other oh, i brought up louis katz who wasn't the headliner of this festival and i was like this is one of my dearest friends go way back and i love him so i guess i mean that was not not name dropping because it was just middling that yeah. night but i think if it's sincere but yes 
and I, I think I know probably some of the people that you uh, are alluding to who've done that. And yeah, I mean, remember myself and maybe a couple others like hosting. A lot of people don't because it is for some reason in this country, nowhere else, this country treated as not a real comedian, even by comedians, by the audiences. It's the opposite of everywhere else. And so people hate being stuck as is that it shouldn't even be stuck this is a wonderful way to make a living and it's a way for people to tell you see i'm still cool mm-hmm. i'm good friends with so and so she's got movies out yeah. on name drop i might be in one of them yeah i'm not just a host on wednesday night yeah exactly and that, that, so i get that yeah and that's just because they're they're not happy yeah, they're that, probably not happy. That's a good point, and yeah. that's uh, and that's another thing you talk about. And it's just the overall happiness of being in this business. And you, we've said this a million times. You know, we had Brendan Sagalu on last week. We talked about this. If you're getting into this business to make money and to be famous, you are in for a rude awakening. However, can you can you make enough money to not have a day job? Do you have to wait tables anymore? No, great. But you got to realize that should be your level of happiness. Like just because you don't get this, just because you're not in movies, it sh- shouldn't bring you down. You got to be able to get in this business and find the silver linings of things and keep yourself happy. Try for whatever you want, but also be realistic. Don't be scared to go to tr- put your foot in different waters. All right? Like I don't want to do that. Well, just try. Maybe it works for you. Okay. And you might also try things that you really want to do and then realize you don't really want them. There's no shame in this. There's all kinds of ways to go. You don't have to be the biggest star. That's uh, That, to me, is one of the biggest things that we've been hitting on in the show, on the podcast, is this bullshit pressure of and this, this lie that you can only be happy if you're as famous as Amy and you live in a mansion or whatever she's living in or a penthouse. It's like... Do you realize how many more people, you know, do you realize how many musicians have put food on their table that you haven't heard of who are great music? They're great musicians, respected by musicians who are living in mansions, but they just, you know, they just survive. They, or, and even better than survive. I, I've luckily every year, probably until this year because of the pandemic, has been my best year of my career financially. Every year. Yeah. Every year goes up. And on paper, I mean, it was early, projections were going to be really good this year. It's just, guess what? There's no shame in that. But a lot of people don't know who I am. But I make a living and was able to, able to pick up some tabs here and there for some people and help out some people here and there. Guess what? That's a li- that's how, that used to be the American dream. That's that was it. Eisenhower's America in the 50s that we all brag about. Remember the middle class? That was the middle class that everyone talks about is those years when you, you, know, you can get a house or pick a fence or whatever or have a nice apartment and, and get some things when you need it. And that that that's there's no shame in that, and it seems like so many people want that. Oh, you know, you didn't make it. What do you mean I didn't make it? I got a my belly's full. I'm doing what I love, and I'm being creative. Oh, but you your friends are on TV. Cool. Yeah, great. We're, we're all doing our thing. They got problems too. When I bring them up uh, to a standing ovation, my very good friend, you've seen him on a million TV shows. I know his real problems. Yeah. Look at that callback, huh? I just called back for three minutes ago, baby. That's how you do it. That's, the, that's why he's the best in the business. Oh, that's yeah. why he's the commissioner of comedy, ladies and gentlemen. It's not for everybody. Uh, James, we have a new 
segment here I love on the show. Segment. It's uh, we we unveiled it last week with Brendan. He told me originally it was going to be called "Cancel Yourself," mm. and he told me that was a bit aggressive. So now it's called "Embarrassments and Regrets." So if you have time, I should have prepped you for this, but you know it is what it is. Uh, what are your some? What is a, an embarrassment or regret that you have, either on stage or something you tweeted? Maybe because a mm. just wasn't funny, or b like, hey, I can't joke about that kind of thing anymore. Is there anything that jumps jumps to mind here? I've brought this up on some other things, and I'll do it. I don't care. I mean, I and it, and it ties in. You know how everyone's so with the uh, whole cancel culture now, and mm-hmm. with the uh, the language. Mm-hmm. And there's whole networks of we say what we want. Well, you know, it's 2020. You should be a little sensitive. I, when I started, was immensely obsessed with Don Rickles, Lenny Bruce, Sarah Silverman. Now, Sarah Silverman in the 2000s, if you're not familiar, her act was absolutely dynamite. She's still wonderful Mm -hmm. and influence, but she had a character where she was like this privileged girl who did not realize she was saying horrible, racist, sexist things. And to me, that was edgy, and I tried to do some of these, and I realized I was just doing hacky um, ethnic jokes. And if I saw it now, I would want to punch myself. I could probably get a following in certain parts of the country. (laughs) It's not who I am. But I knew that it wasn't who I was. And now I'm embarrassed that some people probably first impressions of me is that I am some dude like that. And uh, because Sarah always had to talk about in uh, interviews like, yeah, um, I don't agree with anything I say on stage. And I was like, that's a true artist. Her whole message is the opposite of that. She wants you to see in between. And I wasn't skilled enough to pull that off. You're just trying to be edgy for edgy's sake. And I thought I was trying, I was doing something like I was Don Rickles. And I would say a speech at the end, like Rickles did in his wonderful album, Hello Dummy. But I didn't do enough in between, in my opinion, to really tie it together. And it really wasn't who I was. But it, that, those are my heroes, and I thought that was that was pushing yourself as a comic, and that's a mistake. Here it ties all back up to this. That is a mistake we make. Mm-hmm. We try to be edgy first and try to be great before we're good or decent. Learn the basics and yeah. then tear it and, and go where you need to as an artist to fit who you are. But learn the basics. And I wasn't um, ready to be the basics. I was just a really poor person, Sarah Silverman. Lenny Bruce, those those two are, were masters, and and Don Rickles, they were by the time they were doing those jokes that influenced me, they had cut their teeth and learned how to do comedy without that, and learned how to do it with that, and to sell those characters and to push the boundaries. Yeah, and I'm two years in, you know, I'm Mexican and Italian, because at that point, um, I, I my real dad was Mexican. Now we're not sure. Uh, for years now, there's proof now. Supposedly he's he's Jewish, so who knows. So I'm doing those jokes thinking I'm being edgy. It's just you're being a hack. Yeah. And get, oh, God damn it. It's so embarrassing. Oh, shit. <laughs> this is all in Vegas and for maybe a, a few months here. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, this doesn't really work here. Huh? This is not good. Yeah, the uh, the edgy, just to be edgy, the you know, the edge lords, if you will, mm. or just any ethnic or racial humor, you better be good at it. Richie Redding said it to me. He said, uh, uh, it's like it's like graffiti. If it's done well, it could be art. If it's done poorly, it's trash. That is a valid point. What is the difference between tagging up a wall or writing Samo? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a big difference. Yeah. 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 Unless you're the Banksy of racial yeah. humor, I would, uh, I, would, I would stay away from it. Maybe do a little observation. I don't know. Uh, that, but <laughs> I'm going to, you know, when we turn the, uh, the mic's off. I'm going to ask you those jokes. I'm going to see if I can remember. 
Your next performer is a very good friend of mine. You might know him as the Banksy of racial humor. Please welcome. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure right there. This fuck McFucking. It would probably be something that horrible. <laughs> hey, everybody! <laughs> oh no! Actually, that person's good. So what it would be? This fuck McFucking. That still works. I want to use that. That should be a new character. Oh my goodness! Can you wear a chef jacket and a big a dildo on her? Yeah. Oh man, what was that guy's name? God damn it! I we, still am trying to. We figure had characters out the chef, in Vegas. The chef jacket. Well, of course you do. It's Vegas. We had a dude in, in a wheelchair who was hated. Now you shouldn't be hated as a comedian in a wheelchair. It was a slimy individual. Think about how slimy you have to be to be a comedian in a wheelchair. Going out and doing this wonderful art form, and you can't walk, and yet you're going up there, and how inspir- what an inspiration! And he was such a slime ball that everyone hated him. Do you, you know I coming up in Pittsburgh encountered a, a comic that was in a wheelchair who was also hmm. kind of slimy. Like he seemed like a nice guy off stage, but his jokes were horrendous. Yeah, and it was just kind of like e. And it was just, it was so funny because I remember we're backstage and he gets up on stage, he gets up on stage and one of my comic friends at the time was like, I just, I just talked to so-and-so. What do I tell him before he gets up on stage? Break a leg? And I was like, that's (laughs) You are not saying that. (laughs) It's one of the funniest jokes I've heard all night. Uh, Wonder if it was the same guy. How many wheelchair comics are there? This is probably very insensitive. There's probably a lot and I now Let's get canceled, like, B. Yeah, canceled. Well, that's going to be my uh, my embarrassment and regrets. When I flip it and interview you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I Oh yeah, when I just assumed that there was one comic in a wheelchair that's been to Pittsburgh and Vegas and back. This guy might have. We had some real Yeah, dude, we had uh people get banned from other scenes and other places and would come and set up shop in Vegas and become Big fish in little ponds, and then slowly you realize why they've been everywhere. Uh huh. Yeah. There's a guy who stole jokes, got fired from TV jobs. I've heard him talked about on, on Mark Marin's podcast unfavorably with an kind of an alias, like his first name's different. These are the people that we <laughs> had in our scene. It was really crazy out there. You've talked about that in your podcast, joke thievery. Oh yeah, dog. Stealing jokes. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think everyone's a. Uh, I think everyone can assume that we're against it. Yes. But you get into the idea that there is, there's a lot of just similar stock jokes and ideas. You know, a lot of people do I mean Lewis Black does bits about food. Jim Gaffigan does bits about food. Does that mean they're stealing each other's jokes? Of course not. No. How? But there is, and you get into it of the idea of like, you're stealing the delivery, the way you say it, the, the hand oh, gestures. My goodness. Like that's, theft that is theft and that doesn't get talked about nearly enough and you know there's dean let's see was it dean uh dean dane cook was on mark maron's podcast talking about was it steve byrne he's like he stole my essence it's like crazy wow I, and I, i've said i won't do names there were people who were doing my mannerisms when when they were hosting in that and they were getting called out for it and i was chill and then that person worked hard not to do it i know people you know a, a tell is so influential and he's influenced so many people has a generation with that cadence and that cadence is still being done by other people and i've seen people get called out on it and have done a lot of work to not do it because they want to be original yeah but you're, you're always going to take little bits of your influences i mean that's the key that's the old show business thing if you're not stealing you're not trying you nick you take what you're in you you have more than one influence you have a bunch of influences you throw it into a pot and out of that comes you. That's creativity. 
is taking the little bit of Don Rickles with a little bit of Richard Pryor, with a little bit of Dusty Rhodes, with a little bit of Gary Oldman. I'm doing mine here, apparently, everybody. And a little bit of the Beastie Boys, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's who I am right now talking to you. And yours is the same, and other people is the same in that process. Where you take a little bit, these elements of what made you care about those artists and that art form, and you put it together with your own base personality that was probably influenced by the heroes of yours in art. They were probably influencing how you act outside of being a performer. Do you call yourself a music fan? Are you the one making the playlist for all the parties? Then you've got to listen to the Pinch Music Podcast, where we interview musicians, engineers, producers, and music lovers of all types. We even put together playlists for any and all occasions. So if you want to have the Beatles vs. Stones debate, pick up some engineering tips, or just discover a new artist, you got to check out the Pinch Music Podcast. All a part of the Paperhouse Network. Yeah, that's important. The um, the influence, because I remember hearing a comic once say, like, they did a joke, they wrote this joke, and it, it always bombed, and I heard them say, well, I don't know why this joke doesn't work. I mean, I, I can just, like, hear Carlin saying it. I was like, well, that that, could be the problem. that's... um. You're not George Carlin, mm-hmm. you know. We're all influenced. There's not a there's not a comic with a microphone in their hand that isn't directly influenced by Carlin and or Pryor. They're the two, just yeah. the, the Beatles and the Stones. Yes, one and one A. And Chappelle's know? making that move now, and I think Louis was was probably still is and yeah. isn't being mentioned as an influence now. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many comics that are also influenced, but them two are the you know the goats, and it's. You can't write as them, but you're going to come out and you're going to, that's who's influencing you. It's just, it's a direct relationship. And I think that's, uh, when it comes to joke theft, you got to be yourself. You got to find your voice. And that is what takes so long in this business. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. Like you said, you started out, you used to wear hats, you used to have a, you used to have a nickname. Oh my goodness. You were telling bad ethnic jokes because, you know. Oh my God. How long did it take you to find your voice? Oh man, I'm st- but I still am, right? Exactly. It's, it, it, I've mentioned this in the pot a million times. It's practice. That we're lawyers and we are doctors. It says the practice of doctor so and so when you get there. Yeah. We're practicing. There is no perfection to this because the standard of what makes people laugh is constantly going to change too. Absolutely. So we, just because you made everyone laugh saying these things in t- 2018 doesn't mean in 2023 if you don't evolve with them. Mm-hmm with the times that you're going to get the same responses. It's it's not. People get so angry about it. Man, these jokes used to work. Well, fuck, man. You shouldn't be telling them for 10 years. Yeah. Things have changed. Yeah, you know. You didn't perfect it. You did not reach the apex. Sooner or later, the Cubs are going to win the World Series. Yeah. That joke doesn't work no more. Yes. That's how it is. Could, yeah, could you imagine? Like, so Michael Jordan wins those titles. It, it's almost like, so I get this perfect hour. I've seen this with a lot of road people. I get this perfect hour. So why change it? It crushes all the time. Well, now it's five years later. Michael Jordan's body broke down. He had to find other ways to win or other areas. Like, like he had to develop a jump shot after the first three titles. He had to become one of the great shooters that he, of all time, which he did for 18 feet. And then he was deadly because he was losing his explosiveness and could not go to the hoop like he did in his early years. Now, he won titles like that. And was dominant in MVPs and was unstoppable. But he realized times were changing. Now, that affected him physically, but it's still the times changing. He did not expect it. You're a football guy, right? 
these coaches, other than Belichick, everyone's like, well, why did so? Why did Bill Walsh get done? Why did Chuck? Why did Chuck Knoll win those four titles in the seventies? And why couldn't he in the eighties? Because he was still coaching, like it was the seventies. Because he won those four and goes, this is how I win. This is how you win four titles. That's how you won those four titles with that talent in 1970. These road comics were getting those laughs because of that time and that place. Doesn't mean it's foolproof. You're uh, really striking a nerve with me here with the uh, no the offense. Ste- the Steelers analogy. You've got a couple so right. cents. You're so right. You got a couple cents. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't just you can't say this is Steelers football. This is what we do. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Same in comedy. Well, that, but that that's why Belichick is the best because they don't really – they have a system of how they kind of run practice and run that team. But, you know, they had a good run with two tight ends. They drafted two tight ends in the first round because he goes, oh, I like these two, and I think I like these two together. Yeah. They didn't do that before. It's For those who aren't in, in the football, we're going to get real deep. You know, it's the reason why Patriots don't do well in fantasy football because every week the game plan changes because of who they're playing. You know, if you're if you're uh, I hate California bits are doing great in New York. When you go out to California, you might want to change it up. I made know? that mistake, <laughs> <laughs> James. Um, before we get out of here, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some of the uh, things that I really enjoy talking to you about. We'll yes. keep it short. It is it is the biggest. Party of the summer this weekend. SummerSlam's coming up summer for slam. you wrestling fans out there. Have you summer been wa- have you been watching? It's been pretty bad. I don't watch the main product. I don't even watch. I watch AEW. I was very disappointed. We're filming this on a Thursday that AEW is pushed to a Saturday this yeah. week. Yeah. Um, and I was watching New Japan as much as I could. I'm gonna try maybe and get that subscription again now that they're back. Um, I read the reviews. I watch clips that Brian Alvarez and Meltzer put on YouTube. And get in. It's a great way these recaps to see it. Um, I am going to probably Friday night when I get home try and watch SmackDown because of this new Thunderdome. I want to see what it looks like. And then Saturday is a takeover, and Sunday is a uh, is SummerSlam. I will watch SummerSlam probably when I get home, or maybe on Monday. I'm off Monday. I might. If uh, I weigh nice and get a good workout in, a good run in, I might get some Chinese food and watch the SummerSlam. Okay. But the booking to me, I can't get into at all. And I don't care about these people for the most part. I have no faith in who's running it, unfortunately. Who is someone who ran something so well in the late 90s and figured that everything I do works. And so well in the 80s and got forced to change what got him to glory in the 80s. In the 90s, because someone else was beating him, and because of necessity, found another way to do things, and has never had to change. And just as in Vince McMahon, obviously is is a old football dynasty coach. We win with the sweep. Well, yep. the sweep isn't effective anymore. Has it changed? So I don't have faith in it. Occasionally, there's something that's good there, and I don't like it. But I do want to see what this Thunderdome interactive. Because it's fun with the NBA bubble. I guess that's they're trying to get like that. I think that's what they're doing. But knowing them, they're probably going to take it too far, and it's just going to get weird. Well, AEW would probably do the bubble perfect because they, yeah. they've they've really okay. What can we do to make things work? Yeah, I really enjoy them, and I watch old dude. I watch so much old stuff now. YouTube just just um, suggests old shit to me, and it's the best. Dude, treat yourself. So real quick, um, if you've turned if you haven't turned off yet, and you like this wrestle talk, you're a wrestle fan. Dude, go just Google NWA Pro Wrestling. Go Google it. 
There's probably at least 20 shows up there, and you can find some others that are related to it. First of all, it's the greatest theme song in the history of a pro wrestling show. Great. It's the greatest show ever. It was Jim Crockett Promotions. Ric Flair's usually the champ when you watch it. The first six minutes is that dope theme song. Right before it is the hot angle from the week before where someone's getting bloodied with crowds going nuts. Crowd is hotter than fish grease for everyone. First match will usually be a tag team of the Road Warriors or the Rock and Roll Express. Place goes bananas. Squash match in two minutes. And then either Dusty, Ric Flair, or the Horseman comes out and cut an unbelievable promo. Then more of that all day. It's the best. It's the best, 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 best. Go treat that. If you get, if you want to throw up like the rest of us probably will when we tune in <laughs> this weekend to Thunderdome, go treat yourself. Wet the palate yeah. with old NWA pro wrestling and as much old Memphis stuff you can find on YouTube. Either either wet the palate or get the nasty taste of SummerSlam out of your mouth with the little old school NWA wrestling. Yes. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, James, look, I could, we could. Stand here all day. I was going to ask you what, what are you listening to, but then that's going to be a whole hour. Another uh, hour. You, you got anything, anything quick? What are you listening to music-wise that you know that? So there's a great. There was a great documentary in the Go Go's on Showtime. I watched that when I was out in the suburbs. Great. So I've been listening to a lot of '80s post-punk new wave. Oingo Boingo f- finally got into them for. Ye- I finally a couple years ago got into like I, I tapped out and said, "Oh man, Dead Man's Party's great." And now I'm like, "Oh, they were awesome." And then Danny Elfman's a great composer. I've been listening to a lot of uh, film score type stuff. If you have Spotify, I like to read and then either have like Danny Elfman, John Carpenter, or Trent Reznor and Atticus um, Ross uh, just uh, station based on them. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Uh, and I've come to grips with the social network um, soundtrack is one of my five Favorite pieces of art of all wow. time. Probably. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Hot take to end the, the show. It's the best. It's the that's, best. Uh, that's James Madden. You Thank may, you all. You may remember him from the Pinch Music Podcast when we did soundtrack it was great. scores. James was a guest on that. And you also can get James Madden as the commissioner of comedy right here on Paper House Network. Coming out every Monday with how to just how to be, baby. Monday nights, baby. Commissioner Comedy. This is what we do. We live the passion of your business, of this business, of surviving, of expression, knowing how to act, how to be accepted, how to be yourself at the same time, and how to live in the moment of something that you care for, like the beautiful art form of stand-up comedy. That's what it's about, baby. And Nick Angelo is the number one producer in America, South America, Central America, Arctic America, the Indian Ocean, the Bermuda Triangle. We're, we're big in Vietnam. Vietnam, baby, what's going down? We're going to eat some Bonamese. There it is. That's it. James Mattern, the Commissioner of Comedy, Paperhouse Network. Thanks for listening. Love you, baby. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the New York Comedy Club podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And for tickets to the club, check out NewYorkComedyClub.com.